0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, good morning. Welcome to church. It's good to have you with us. And uh, my name's Barry. I'm part of the team here at Northside. And uh, today we're looking at week three in a series called The Search, the looking beneath the looking. And uh, that little video, I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later, but I just wanted to uh, show that because after... Me showing that I know that it, I've at least got half or a little over half of the audience with me and on my side because I showed that today. Women, you are more beautiful than you think you are. And uh, today we're looking at this whole issue of identity. A couple of weeks ago, Sam launched off the series. We're looking at the search for contentment and what is it that helps us uh, be content. And last week, Sam talked about uh, transcendence. Uh, you know, looking. For that sense of God in our life and that otherworldliness and God breaking in. And today we're looking at this topic of identity. How many of you in this last week have been searching for something? Maybe on the internet, maybe you've searched for a car to buy or a house to buy or a car to sell or a house to sell or maybe you've been looking for a product. Yeah, raise your hands if you've been ser- Look at all the searches. See, we've been looking, we've been searching and sometimes we're searching beneath the, beneath the you know, we're looking for something uh, throughout our lives. We search on social media, we, we look for stuff, products to buy, gifts to buy and all over the world people are searching. You know, there's some deep questions that everyone has to ask in life. There are five of them. Uh, The first, These these are the five big questions of life. And uh, I'm going to mention the five, and then I'm going to ask you to raise your hands again if you've asked any one of these questions. The first big question of life is, where did I come from? In other words, what's the origin of life? Uh, The next big question is, what is life about? Or does my life matter? Third big question, who am I? Fourth big question is, does my life have purpose? And the big question, another big question of life is, where is my life heading? Where am I going? They're the five big questions of life. Today we're going to look at one of those questions, the who am I question. But I want you to, if you just be honest with me for a moment, if you've ever asked any one of those big five questions. Yeah, we we ask those questions. And it's good that we ask those questions because they are important and it's important that we actually are able to answer those questions articulately, that we actually know the answer to those five big questions because it helps us to get through life and, to, and for our life to have purpose and meaning and to know where we've come from and where we're going. It's so important. But today we're looking at this issue of identity the search for identity. Who am I? And I believe you've come to the right place. If you want to find out who you are and find out what identity uh, you have, you've come to the right place. This is the right place to be. And today what I want to do is I want, us to, uh, I want to ask four questions about identity. Uh, and we're going to have a fair bit with, the, with three of those four, looking at the life of Jesus from that Bible reading that was just read to us. But as well as that, I want to then flip it a bit and have a look at another passage and look at our identity, who we really, really are. And so uh, the first, before we get into that, Look, we're in tennis season. Someone asked me this morning, "Hey, going Barry? Are you feeling ready for today?" And I said, "Not really. I'm not really ready. Why? Because I've been watching the tennis, and I've been up late. You know, I was up till 12.40 Saturday morning watching Milman just lose again that tennis match, and and then I watched Curios match last night. And so I love watching tennis. But when I was when I was a young fella, I played a lot of tennis, and." Uh, when I was about 11 years old, there was a competition on the local radio station in the town where I was growing up. And uh, the co- I don't know what the competition was for. I don't know what I would have won. But I had the opportunity of ringing and talking to the radio host. So I, so I dialed the number. And I didn't go, bip, bip, bip. I did, you know, <laughs> you know that was, it was a while ago uh, when I was 11. And so I rang in and, I, and I got... To talk to the radio station host, and I said, "Hi, my name is Barry Tremacki, and I'm a tennis star." (laughs) And the radio host was wondering what. He he didn't know how to respond, and so here I was, this self-confessed tennis star that no one in the world had ever heard of. But I was just this young kid who didn't know the difference between the word "star" and "fan." (laughs) I'm a tennis fan. I love tennis, I love watching it, I love playing it, I love the game. Uh, but I got it wrong. And so, you know, I thought pretty I thought I was pretty good, you know, when I said star, but really I'm a fan. You know, later on in life I went to university, and at university where I went, there were five major schools of training or, or of education. One of those was the School of Business. And so the, the goal there was, you know, to, to people who wanted to learn business, accounting, marketing, commerce, law, that sort of stuff. So there's a school of business. and there was a school of education for all the people that wanted to become teachers. Then there was a school of science for all those who wanted to become scientists and professors and mad scientists and all that. No, 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 no. And then there was the school of engineering. Any engineers in the room? Yeah, the School of Engineers, mate, we need engineers because without you we can't get over bridges or we can't go on bridges. And then there was the School of Arts. And, and uh, any artists in the room? Because we need to value our arts. Yes, excellent, excellent. And so often at university you could almost tell which school someone went to depending on the clothing that they wore. You know, you could almost pick and people's identity was often wrapped up in the kind of clothing that they wore and, 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 and we as, as, as uni students, ah, oh, they're the art students. Ah, oh, that's how the science students behave, you know. Well, that's a, and, and some of you can relate to this. And sometimes our identity is actually wrapped up in, uh, you know, what we study or what we do in life. But we live in a time where people are really obsessed with identity, uh, self-image. Have you noticed that on many of the social media things, that people never show a photo of the worst of themselves. <laughs> we always show the best. We, we want to show the good stuff. We don't want the world to know about the bad stuff. But, but we, we, we want to build an identity, and identity is so important to us. And so uh, let's have a look at what this guy said. There's a guy, he's an Italian. He's a... Uh, He's an Italian, he's a pastor and he lives in New York, he lives in the city and his name is Pete Scazzaro and he's written some great books on emotionally healthy spirituality. And in his book he's, he's, he writes this, he says, the vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. That's sad. Very sad. He says, we, con- we unconsciously live someone else's life. Or at least someone else's expectations of us. And then he goes on to say that this does violence. It does violence to ourselves. It does violence to our relationship with God. And it does violence ultimately to others. Isn't that true? Because when our identity is so important. When we know who we are, uh, we can live in a way that is good for us good in our relationship with God and good in our relationship with others. But when we live according to the expectations of others, it's not good, not good for the soul. Uh, There's another two counsellors, two two of the leading counsellors, Christian counsellors, a number of years ago got together for a conference, Dr. Arch Hart and uh, Dr. Gary Collins. And uh, these were two leading uh, counsellors and they said this, low self-esteem is epidemic in our Western culture. 75% of counselling sessions, the central issue is self-esteem. And what they're saying is that three in every four people that they see or three in every four counselling sessions, and by the way, if you're in counselling that's great. That's good. Because it means that you're, you're working on your own personal growth and how you can become more the person that God intended you to be. Not a bad thing to be in counselling, I must say. Uh, but I would say this, that, that what these guys are saying is that our identity is a key aspect of what the issues are that we're struggling with as a society in our, in our Western culture. So how do we find identity? And so let's have a look at some of the, some of the options. Is our identity who we say? Is our identity who we say we are? Is it about our perception? Now there's lots of things around today where you can try and work out a bit about your identity. It could be a personality profile test. Not wrong to do a personal personality profile test. I've done a number of them and I'm still trying to work out who I am. But, but uh, here's the thing, you know, you could be an introvert or an extrovert, Uh, you could be uh, a thinking person or a feeling person, or you might not think anything or feel anything, in which case you might not be alive. But, um, (laughs) But there's different personality tests that you can do to help you work out, and then there's the angiograms, there's all sorts of different ways that you can define potentially who you are. Then there's also passion, you know, you can work out, well, what is your passion? Are you passionate about sport? Are you passionate about, you know, maybe a type of sport, cricket, boxing, tennis, footy, soccer, whatever it is. Um, maybe, our, maybe what defines you is your passion for politics. You just love politics so much. And maybe that's what defines you. Maybe it's business. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's art. I, I don't know what it is. But, but do we define ourselves according to our passion or our passion? personality or maybe it's to do with our performance whether we're successful or not you know it's fascinating isn't it that you can go to a local uh, magazine shop or a news agent and you can go and find every now and then they'll produce a list in a magazine of the list of the 500 wealthiest people either in australia or in the world Uh, different magazines will show that at the moment, we've got tennis and cricket on in Australia and, and so we know what people's rankings are, number one in the world. Number, and, you know, that might all change this week. Who's number one? Who's number two? And, and you know, and, and it's very much... But here, what's, what's interesting is this. We might know the names of the 500 richest people in the world, but who knows the names of the 500 poorest people in the world? And what about those who are the 500 worst tennis players in the world. <laughs> Why don't we have a list of that? Well, because it might shame them. No, no. It's the, the reason, see, what happens is our values are mixed up. Our values, we value those who have... All this stuff. We value those who are the best. And I'm not saying it's not, it's not wrong to appreciate the goodness of, of sport and, and all those things, but what happens is sometimes is people's whole identity gets wrapped up in who they say they are, in what people say about themselves. Uh, as people, we often see ourselves in one of two ways. We either think too lowly of ourselves. We don't think enough of who we are, or we think too highly of ourselves. Gee, I'm a tennis star, or gee, I'm really good. And Paul knew this, and he wrote to the Christians at Rome. Now, we've got to remember that 2,000 years ago, Rome was the centre of the universe, Rome was the place to be, it was the powerhouse of all things, it was the great city, and Paul writes to Christians in this place, and he says this, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has given you. In other words, he's saying, don't don't have an exaggerated view of who you are, don't um, Don't value yourself more than you ought to because that leads to pride. But also don't put down yourself. You know, sometimes some of the things that we say about ourselves or some of the voices that have been spoken into our life have said this, you're nothing. You're worthless. Unless you perform, you're not good enough. You're a mistake. And sometimes we've heard those voices and some of us have even repeated those voices and said that about ourselves I'm good for nothing, I'm a failure, I'm a mistake, I'm not that great, I'm not important, I'm not valued." You know, the video we just showed after the Bible reading was about a national company that involved forensic artists uh, who didn't see the people that came into the room, but as the person described themselves, the forensic artist drew a picture of what that person looked like. And then they met a complete stranger and the complete stranger came in and uh, then the forensic artist, "Could, could you please describe a person that was in this room? And then they drew the picture and then it was a completely different picture uh, but what happened, physically what happened there is, in that, in that story, the, the women thought too low of themselves in terms of their physical beauty. Uh, Dr. Luke, who carefully investigated everything about the life of Jesus, wrote these words and he wrote it down. He said this, uh, When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like... A dove and a voice came from heaven You are my son, whom I love. I am pleased with you. Now, at this point, Jesus is 30 years old. He's done some carpentry. He doesn't have any followers. He hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't done much teaching. He did when he was 12 years old. He sorted out the religious leaders in the temple at that age. But he. Hasn't done much at all. And yet, at his baptism, when he's baptised, the Father's voice from heaven booms out and says, this is my son, whom I love, and I am well pleased with him. Straight after that, Jesus goes out into the desert where he is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by uh, the devil. Jesus is hungry and uh, he hasn't eaten during that time. And then what we see here is three challenges to Jesus' identity as God's Son, whom God loves, whom God is well pleased. And these same temptations that Jesus has are the very temptations that we have in our life today that challenge us about our identity and the very source of where we get our identity from. So let's have a look at Jesus because he is, after all, our role model. He's our example. He's the one that we're seeking to, to know and to follow more. Let's have a look at what, how Jesus handles it. The devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. You see, the devil is saying to Jesus, if you really are who God says you are, then you need to perform. You need to do something. And the question is, is our identity about what we do? I mean, if Jesus had been able to turn rocks into, into food, into bread, that would be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? I mean, especially when you think about the hunger of the Jewish people in that, in that culture it's 2,000 years ago. I mean, they were hungry, they were starving, and they were living a day-to-day existence. And for Jesus to be able to turn rocks into bread would be pretty awesome. Um, and that would be like going out here and turning the bitumen into pizza. But when people are hungry, really hungry. I mean, that's pretty impressive. And, and, and what this temptation is to Jesus is it's a temptation for him to find his identity in what he's able to do, in his performance, in his capacity uh, to do stuff. Now, being productive is important. Uh, The Bible talks a lot about being fruitful and productive and faithful. Um, um, And achieving stuff is important. And you you read through the Scriptures and there is lots of guys in the Scriptures who have, in the Bible, who have achieved a lot of things for, for God and for people. That's a good thing. But yet for many of us, uh, our identity and our sense of worth is often wrapped up in our success, whether we've done well at school or in sport or in business or in career. But how does Jesus... And it's not wrong to be successful. That's not the issue here. The issue is about our identity. And so Jesus actually responds to the devil and says, mate, people don't live... On bread alone, but they live on God's word. In other words, what he's saying is God is the one who defines the source of life and what life is about, and he's the one who nourishes our inner being. So as well as being tempted to find his identity in performance, Jesus is also tempted to find his identity in something else. And let's have a look at it in Luke chapter 4, verse 5 to 7. It says the devil led Jesus to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And then the devil starts lying to him. I will give you all their authority, a lie and splendor, a lie, for it has been given to me. Another lie, and I can give it to anyone I want to. Another lie, so if you worship me, it will all be yours. Another lie, because whose is it anyway? Jesus owns it all anyway. But uh, what the devil is saying here, this is a temptation for Jesus to find his identity not in who God says he is, but in what he has in possessions. And is our identity about our possessions? Is it about what we have? Now, the truth of the matter is our world values possessions. Our world system values owning stuff, getting stuff, having more, more, more and more. And there's nothing wrong with having stuff, but when stuff becomes God, when it becomes the number one thing in our life, when it becomes the most important thing, that's when our identity can often be attached To those possessions. And that's not healthy and not good for us because what it means is if we get more, then our identity builds. But what happens if we lose it? What happens if we have less? Does our identity then shrink with that? That's what happens if our identity is attached to our possessions, to what we have. So, uh, Jesus, how does he deal with this? How does Jesus reply to this challenge to his identity? He says, Look, you've got to worship God. And serve him only. Worship God. In other words, our identity is found in giving God the worth that he deserves. The devil doesn't let up. And the devil uh, gives Jesus another challenge to his identity, and it's in Luke 49 to 11. It says, The devil led Jesus to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourselves down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not even strike your foot against a stone. I lived here in Sydney 20 years ago and the tallest building in Sydney at the time was Centrepoint Tower. Is it still the tallest building? No? What's the tallest? think it is. Let's have an argument. Let's... Anyway, let's, let's say, say Centre Point's the tallest building in Sydney. Can you imagine, with all the people on the streets below and everyone knew about it, uh, can you imagine the devil taking Jesus to the top of Centre Point Tower, you know, above the dining section? <laughs> I mean, I'm talking the top. And the devil's up there with Jesus, and all the people are down below going about life and going about business and doing our work and all that sort of stuff. And then the devil says, Jesus, throw yourself down. And if you throw yourself down, it's going to be amazing. And how amazing would it be if Jesus did throw himself down and just as he's about to hit splat, angels come, pick Jesus up and people are going, whoa, wow, that was amazing. Oh, oh, Jesus will follow you. Oh, that's, that's the, I mean, I've never seen a magic trick like that. I mean, that would be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? It would be pretty spectacular. And this is a temptation for Jesus to become popular. This is a temptation for Jesus, for, the, for all the people of Jerusalem at the time to know that he is pretty impressive because that had never been done before in Jerusalem. This is a temptation to be popular. And is our identity what people say about us? That's what the temptation is. Now, one of the... Da- hey, we all want friends. We all need friends. But what happens... What happens to our identity if our identity is wrapped up in what others say about us? If our identity is wrapped up in what others say about us, here's what it means. When we are criticised, when we are labelled negatively, when people say bad stuff about us, guess what happens to our identity? It shrinks. It gets smaller. When people say good things about us, and it's good to say good things about us, when that happens, what happens? Our identity grows. But there's a danger here. The danger is that we get our sense of identity from what people say. So where do we get our identity from? We obviously get our identity from God. I am who God says I am. And you are who God says you are. It's not what you say, not what you have, not your possessions, not what other people say. Our identity is very much centred on who God says we are. So let's have a look at what it says. And I want to turn, we're going to flip it now. We're going to look at who are we and we're just going to touch on this very briefly. Ephesians 1 says this, and I'd encourage you when you go home today, on Australia Day, because today is Australia Day. It's all about identity and all sorts of things. But it'd be really good for us to work out our own identity. Read Ephesians 1. It'll help so much for your own soul and your own life and your own sense of who you are. Read Ephesians 1. And then if you've got the heart for it and the appetite for it, read Ephesians 2, because there's a lot of good stuff in there too. And just read through the whole book. You might not get through it all today, but, but get into it, because it's great stuff, the book of Ephesians. But Ephesians 1, he says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God loves it. Love that. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave us our sins. Verse 11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. How awesome is that? I talked about that last verse, verse 11 three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago on January five, And if you want to have a look at what what it means to have hope, have a listen to that podcast on our website. But here's the thing about who you are. You and I are not the sum of our past. We are not even the sum of our present. You are not your mistakes. You are not the labels that you have been given by yourself or even by others. You are not the possessions that you have or you are not um, those other things Here's who you are. You are created by God. You are loved by God. You are chosen by God. You are part of his family. You are who God says you are. And if there's one thing that we need today and one thing our society needs today, more than anything is to know that we are who God says we are. I am who God says I am. And so what I want to do is just quickly look at five little things here from this passage. I am a child of God. That's the first one. I am a child of God. We're created in God's image and we are his children. How good is that? That God calls us his kid. We're part of his family. Um, There's a man by the name of Neil Anderson Uh, he's he's a psychologist, counselor, he says this, the most important belief about ourselves is that we are children of God and that being his child is a right given to us by God himself. How good is that? That's the most important belief we can have about ourselves, that you are a child of God. Another thing about our identity is this, I am loved, chosen and treasured. You want to know who you are? That's who you are. You're loved by God, chosen by God, treasured by God. Even before God created the world, he chose you. Isn't that amazing? This is hard for us in our Western mind to get get our head around this. But the God who created the world loves you, chose you, treasured you to be his own. That's how much we're loved. That's how good God is to us. Our identity is about who God says we are. Another guy by the name of Brennan Manning, he's written this. He says, My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? The deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it and I've done nothing to deserve it. Nothing to earn, nothing to deserve. That's how who we are. Our identity is also that we are adopted into God's family. We are part of his family. Uh, God doesn't want people to be excluded from his family. God wants people to be included into his family. But the way we are included is through faith in Jesus. That's how you're included, through faith in Jesus, to be included in God's family. And then our identity is we are spiritually free. You know, Religion is about rules and regulations and it's there to burden people and that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about a relationship that sets us free, sets us free from the power of addiction. Jesus can set people free from addiction. Uh, Jesus can set people free from bad habits and and turn people's lives around so that their life is no longer addicted, but that their life is now a life of love for God and love for people. Jesus has the power to set people free, to spiritually change lives. He does that. He's doing it today. And he can do it in your life today. If you haven't let Jesus set you free from your addiction or from whatever's going on in your life, Jesus can turn your life around if you let him. But you need to surrender and let him do that. Our identity is also that we are forgiven in Christ. We are forgiven. How do we know how much we're loved? All you've got to do is look to Jesus and we see him on a cross giving his life, and even if we were the only person on the planet, he would have given his life for you. You are loved. You are chosen. You are treasured. You are valued. You are his child. God is for you. And your identity isn't about what you say or what other people say or what you have or how popular you are. It's all found in Jesus. That's who you are. And in a moment, as we do every week, we share in this special little meal called communion or the Lord's Supper. And what this is, it's a reminder to us of Jesus, but it's also a reminder to us of our identity, of who we are, that we are loved. And Jesus said, take this bread and eat it. This is my body given for who? For you. For you, for you, for you, for you. you. This is my body given for you. And then Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks for it and he said, this cup this, this wine represents uh, a new relationship between God and people. Um, this, this is for the forgiveness of your sin, your wrong, your mistakes, the things we've mucked up in life in our relationship with God. So as we eat this morning, remember this is for you and remember that Jesus came to forgive me and you. Will you pray with me and then come as you're ready. If you love Jesus, then you can share in this meal together, this meal of communion. And and after we share in communion, we're going to have a song sung to us called You Say. And I pray that you'll just let the words of this song minister to the depths of your soul. Let it minister, the words of this song, let it minister to who you are, who God says you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, day We thank you for this opportunity we have to hear from you, Father, about what you say about us, of who we are in you. Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've chosen us. Thank you that we are part of your family. Thank you that you are a good, good Father who loves your children. And I pray that if there's anyone in this room today who is bound by addiction, who is caught up in the things of this world, who has got their identity in anything but you, Jesus, I pray that today they will find that in you, you are the one that defines who we are. Lord, thank you that we can remember you now in this time of communion. Thank you that you gave your life for us so that we could have life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Come as you're ready, sharing this time. For more info and all the latest Northside news and events, visit northsidechurch.org.au.